Good morning, church. Good to see everybody here. You guys are awake this morning. Aren't you thankful that God is with us? We were talking in Family Matters this morning about um, one of the evidences that you and I thirst after God is that we're here together this morning. So hopefully you didn't come this morning out of duty. Um, Hopefully you came out of desire uh, to be with the saints of God and to worship Him. So let's all stand. Let's do that together. Father, 
praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, cloaked in power and in grace, the name above all other names, the name above all other names.
never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop, you never stop working. Never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop, you never stop working. Never stop, never stop working. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. 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 song I was thinking about as we were singing it it's all about God's work there's not much of us in there Um, it's all about the work that God does even when we don't see it or feel it um, the Lord is faithfully working his plan in our life I'll sing about the goodness of God never fail me all my days I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God and all my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able oh I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice you have blessed darkest night you were close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend and I have lived in the goodness of God sing all my life you have been faithful 
What a great song. All my life, you've been faithful. All my life, you've been so, so good. You just kind of want to sing that 30 minutes. You know, there's some things about our Lord that for me, I just can't sing or say enough, and the faithfulness of the Lord is one of those things. He is so, so faithful. Well, Friday, I went to lunch with my good friend Andy Johnson, and he took me to a place I'd never been before. It's the Harvest Bread Company right next to Half Shell, which isn't a bad place to eat. You're going to be hungry when I'm done with this. But we went to Harvest Bread Company. I guess that's where you're supposed to eat healthier, right? Let me just tell you something right now. That sandwich I ate was money. You can pick whatever kind of bread you want. I had this white bread. I don't even know. It's just so good. They toast that stuff, and then they, uh, they put me some bacon on there. And, you know, bacon can be, you know, kind of lumpy, and I don't like that. And it can be really burnt, and I don't really like that either, but I like it crispy. And it was just perfect. And it's wrapped up in this cheddar cheese. And then they, I guess they want to make you feel like you're eating healthier because they, they, they put some slices of green apple 
right? And then to top it off, you get some pepper jelly. You like pepper jelly? Listen to me. I'm a closed-minded guy when it comes to food, pretty much. But that pepper jelly, I said, I want it on the side. And I put that stuff all over that sandwich. Woo, it was good. I ate that thing, and I enjoyed every single bite. And have you ever had food where you're just like, man, I don't want to take that last bite? It's so good. And as great as that sandwich was, it's nothing like eating the Word of God. In fact, you know, in the book of Jeremiah, the Bible tells us, Jeremiah says, your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. It's going to be a challenge for you today to chew on these words. But I would encourage you to. They're words that you've heard before. In fact, the, all the verses that are recorded by the Apostle Paul, this is probably one of the most noted verses. It's a verse that people quote. It's a verse that I think is used like cheering on Paul. Good job, big guy. But I don't know if this verse is really considered much in terms of how we should deal with it. That you would walk out of the sanctuary today saying, you know what, I need to deal with this thing called the Christian life. For Paul to be able to write what he did was absolutely incredible. But I want you to do something for me this morning. I want you to consider where you are in your life as a Christian, where you really are. And I'm going to do the same thing. I can't ask you to do something I'm not willing to do. But I want you to consider where are you really in your life as a Christian? How much of you is really sold out for the Lord? Like, hey, Lord, my life's yours. And I get this whole thing, Lord, about the fact that one day I'm going to see you face to face. And I'm either going to see you as an unregenerate person or as a regenerate person. But I am going to see the Lord. We will be accountable for the life lived. And Paul just has this awesome way of wrapping up, in a few words, his life. But we need the help of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask you to bow with me and pray. Lord, I'm just a messenger. Your spirit's the one that's going to teach us. I guess, Lord, as I get older and you and prepare each Sunday, I just am in awe of the life that your word brings. But the challenge that we have before us as we consider the testimony of Paul this morning. He wanted to encourage Timothy to, to run his race, to, to, to finish well. God, that's what's before us on the table today. How will we finish in our life? 
please help me this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, how's that race for you going in your life? How does that look right now? How would you describe your Christian life in a few words? Do you plan on finishing well? You will finish. But how will you finish? You know, Paul was concerned that Timothy would finish what the Lord had started in him. And so he encourages him. And he does it in really kind of an unusual way. If, as we looked at last week, he encouraged Timothy, first of all, about talking about his view of life. And his view of life was one of self-sacrifice. In other words, I'm all in. The Lord has my life. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. What about you? What about me? Is that our view of life? Is our view of life self-sacrificing? Or is our view of life, it's all about me, it's all about what I want. You know, it's all about what I can get, the American dream, so to speak. Is that, is that it? Y'all feel sorry for people that live that way. Because it's so temporal. And see, you and I sit in a building and we have our rivals in front of us and we know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. We know what's coming and we know who's coming. Paul lived that way. He not only had his view of life as self-sacrificing, but his view of death was amazing. Remember, his view of death was release. Release to be with the Lord. The one who saved him. The one who called him out. That's a different way to look at death, isn't it? It's a release. It's really a separation to the one who saved me. It's a beautiful picture. Well, he continues his encouragement and he talks about his testimony. He shares his testimony. Now, when someone is called to share their testimony, that usually takes a long time. If I said to some of you, I need you to come share your testimony, it might be 15, 20 minutes, it might be 30 minutes, it might be an hour. That's okay. Paul summed his up in just very few words. <laughs> Look what he says, 2 Timothy chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I've kept the faith. In the future... There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. I gave you on your handout the crowns that are mentioned in Scripture. It's on the back of your last sheet. It's a chart that Chuck Swindoll had. And so I provided it for you. But it's his work. And I don't know who Chuck got it from, but I'm sure he got it from somebody. But it talks about the rewards for the believer. And that's what Paul had in mind as he, look, as he writes here. He's, he's not only thinking about his life... And what that looked like, but he's looking to the future as well. And he says, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. But I want to, this morning, for our purposes, concentrate on verse 7. This is how it really reads in the Greek. In your translations, it has, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the original language, it reads this way, the good fight I have fought, 
The course I have finished, the faith I have kept. That's just for your information. That's how it reads. And the emphasis is on the good fight, the course, and the faith. But he tells us what he did in relationship to those things. And we begin as we look at Paul's testimony, we see that it's transparent. He's just honest. You say, that, well, that's not a big deal. Yeah, it is. In light of what he shares, it really is. There's more to it than meets the eye. I mean, you could read those verse, that verse and, and you could read those phrases and go, okay, that's great. But what do they mean? What's he talking about? Remember, he's writing from very difficult circumstances. He's about to be martyred. But he's got a message for the one that he's handing the torch off to. And he talks about, first of all, the good fight I have fought. He talks about his struggle. Because the Christian life is what? It's a struggle. How many of you know that? It's a struggle. He says, I have fought the good fight. Beginning at the moment of salvation is the idea in the original language. Beginning at the moment of salvation, I begin to fight the good fight. And notice he calls it a good fight. It's a good fight. If you're on Christ's team, it's a good fight. But you're in a war. You're in a struggle. That's the idea. You're in a contest. I don't know if you view it like that, but that's what it is. That's what the picture is here in the original language. And that fight for Paul, just like that fight for you, began at the moment of salvation. And it continues to the end of my life. And here's the issue. In the original language, it's in the perfect tense. So what Paul's saying is, look, I began to fight at the moment of salvation, and I continue all the way through until my head's chopped off. I am fighting the good fight. You say, well, I don't know when I'm going to die. That's right. The Lord may come back first. But how is he going to find his church? Is he going to find his church in the contest? In the struggle? How is he going to find you? How is that going to look for you? It's interesting when you break down the word itself. Literally the word fought speaks of putting forth great effort. It pictures an agonizing struggle against opposition. Uh, in the Greek culture, the word was used to describe both athletic and military arenas. I need Connor Barnett to come up here. Come on, my brother. So there's two different pictures here. One is of a military arena, and the other is of an athletic arena, or the Greek games. And one of the games that, that was huge in that day and time was wrestling. Now, I want you to know something about Connor. This young man right here, he's taller than me. You can see that. Did you know that Connor shot his pastor? You're laughing. Did you like that? Yeah. He liked it. We were playing paintball in youth, and, and, he, and he shot me right here. In fact, when he shot me, I think the rule was, what, 25 feet? Were you within 25 feet? No. I'll just say this, when that paintball hit me, I just went, oh, and he loved it. But here's the picture. The picture is of an athletic contest, and to illustrate, wrestling would have been something huge in the Greek games, and wrestling is today. In fact, the games are about to go on. But the picture is of two 
people struggling, straining, strain, son. Like you're going to put, right? Where's Kevin? You need to work out, man. Just come on, dude. Put like you're going to put a move on me, all right? So the idea is the two people straining, all right? Thank you very much. Appreciate you, Connor. But two, two people straining in a contest. With a Christian life, it's a strain. It's a struggle. That's the picture that Paul paints here. The good fight I have fought, he says. Wayne Barber, I like one of the words he uses here. He says, the word fought also emphasized the amount of concentration, discipline, and effort needed to win. I just really like that word concentration. I like the other words, but I think concentration is a really good word for the day and time we live in because we are pulled in so many different directions. Concentrating on the good fight is an issue for us. Listen, we are not of this world. The Lord has separated us. The Lord separated Paul on the road to Damascus. He separated us and saved us at some point in our life. And we're in a race. You know, as I look out in the Christian circles today, I wonder if if some are even engaged. Do they realize that there's a struggle going on? And it's agonizing. And there is opposition. And it begins with Satan, and we know that. But there's a concentration, I think, that's needed in the church today that maybe isn't quite there. Figuratively, the word fought refers to the continual struggle of the Christian life and ministry. How many of you would say that the Christian life is a struggle? You agree with that? What Paul writes? It's a struggle. Young people, listen, if you don't think it's a struggle, you will. You will. I put in my notes, I don't think I put it in your notes. I just put it here the Christian life and ministry is hard, it's difficult. There's going to be times in your life as a believer, you're just going to want to quit because it's too hard. Billy Graham wrote, The Christian life is not a constant high. And you know, there are people that want that in life, man. They want blue skies all the time, right? And the reality is that's not life. There are days that it's cloudy outside. True? True. Okay. The reality is the Christian life is hard. It's not a constant high. Billy Graham wrote, I have moments of deep discouragement. You been there? Especially this last year and a half. Deep discouragement. He says, I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, oh God, forgive me or help me. I found that to be interesting. Because that just proves that there's a struggle. He's saying, forgive me. Because there's times in my life where the struggle is equated to sin. We don't like to talk about that a whole lot, but the reality is there is a struggle in our lives at times with sin. Right? It can easily entangle us. And Billy Graham said, help me. By the way, I would would just like to give you um, a quick piece of advice on that. There's nothing too small in which we should not cry out help. (laughs) Otherwise, we're saying, "Ah, I don't need you. I only need you in the big moments. 
the big crisis. See, and the reality is I need the Lord all the time. Paul talks about his struggles. So I thought, well, we'll just use Paul's life. I couldn't think of three of you that would give me permission to talk about your struggles. So I thought, well, we'll just use Paul. He had struggles. He had personal struggles. You say he had personal struggles? Yeah, he did. You remember in the sanctification area in the book of Romans, you know, Romans is kind of broken down like that. Salvation, sanctification, glorification. And in the midst of the sanctification area in the book of Romans, he talks about his personal struggle with sin. He says, for the good that I want, I do not do. You ever been there? But I practice. Notice that word practice. See, this is where people kind of get off, I think, sometimes. Because I think in circles of theology, there's this mind that we can be perfect. That's not going to happen. Paul says in chapter 6, shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. No, so that, there's not a license to live like I want to live. There are times in the Christian life where people are going to be involved in sin and it's going to look like something they are practicing. So what do you do in those times? Well, if you're the one in sin, if you're the one practicing the very evil that you don't want to do, what do you do? You cry out to the Lord and you say, help. That's what you do. And I don't know how it is for you as a maturing believer, but I know when I sin. How about you? You know that? There are lots of things I know that the Lord tells me to do and not do, and I'm responsible and accountable for that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lived quite a life, if you just go back and research his life, you know, he was obviously in opposition to, the, to Nazism. He was arrested by the Gestapo. He spent time in a concentration camp, and he was ultimately hung in 1945. He's probably most noted for the book called The Cost of Discipleship. He says, when all else is said and done, the life of faith is nothing if not an unending struggle of the Spirit with every available weapon against the flesh. It's a struggle. You know, I think the first thing that we need to do is admit it. It's a struggle. Think about your mind. Let's just start, let's just give one example. The mind. What do you think about right now? Right this second. Isn't it amazing? You can be going through your day and take a look at one picture or one person and your mind goes in a completely different direction. Just like that. Frustrated, isn't it? That's why I think Billy Graham's practical advice is pretty good. Help. <laughs> Help me, Lord. There's not only personal struggles in Paul's life, but there's ministry struggles. That's how I headed it up. You can head it up however you want to. But in 2 Corinthians, he writes about a lot of the struggles that he had physically and what it cost him personally to, to serve the Lord. I don't know that we can identify with the intensity of these struggles like Paul had. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he writes, In everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. And he talks about afflictions and hardships and beatings and imprisonments and sleeplessness. I read that one, I'm like, that happens. Sleeplessness? We can relate to that one. When we're not sleeping well, usually there is something connected to that. Wouldn't you agree? Some kind of stress, some kind of strain, some kind of worry that's crept into our lives. Paul had these struggles of representing Christ along with others. And ultimately, I mean, he he was beheaded because of it. I was reading an article about the Council of Nicaea. I don't know how many of you are familiar with that, but it was a council group of people put together in the 4th century. There were 318 delegates that Constantine got together that attended. And I read something about those delegates this last week, and I didn't even know I was going to use this as an illustration. But I was reading it, and I'm like, wow, this is interesting. At the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century... They primarily dealt with the theological issues of Christology and the Trinity. That's what they dealt with. Really, around Christology, they dealt with the deity of Christ. By the way, that's what we're dealing with today. If you're not on board, you need to know that. Okay? So, they're discussing all that, and so he's got these 318 delegates that were there. And in this article, it said fewer than a dozen of those who, had, who attended, fewer than a dozen, had not been persecuted in some way for their faith. They either lost an eye, they lost a hand, they lost a leg, all because of Christ. All because of standing in a position that says, I will not. So when Paul says, I fought the good fight, I mean, that's part of it. Part of fighting the good fight is recognizing that there are struggles in the Christian life that are equated to physical, as he puts it here in 2 Corinthians. It's happened in centuries before, and it is coming, people. It's coming. I know we look at it, and you know, until something hits us, we're like, well, okay. But there's torture around the world going on today in the Christian church. People losing their lives for the cause of Christ. There's also spiritual struggles that go on in Paul's life. That's the heading I gave it. And this one's an interesting one because I think that um, for us, I'm not sure we're going to be able to really identify too much, but, but maybe it's something we should think on. He tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself... Notice this, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Now, there's a lot of discussions by theologians as to what this thorn was. Was it a physical ailment? What was it? But I think if you read it, it's kind of interesting because he says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. There's this spiritual issue going on, struggle going on in the life of Paul. And you say, well, what did he do with that struggle? Well, here's the rest of the story. What do you do with your struggle? 
I mean, a messenger of Satan is tormenting him in some way. We're not told how. It doesn't matter. But he's being tormented to keep him humble. Look at the rest of the story concerning this, this torment. He says, I implored. That word in the Greek is so strong. It's, uh, it's a picture of somebody begging on their knees. Begging God. God, deliver me from this. You've been there in your life? God, please. Look what he says. and This goes against what we would like to hear. What we would like to hear is release. Fix it. And the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. <laughs> for power is perfected in weakness. My grace, my favor in your life is sufficient. In other words, he's saying, he's saying to Paul, I'm sufficient. In the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your struggle... I am the one that will never leave you and never forsake you. Even though the Lord was allowing this in his life. Paul begged him and said, please let it leave me. Three times. The Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. And look what he says, for power is perfected in weakness. And then it goes on. And I, I, I rarely hear theologians go to the next part. I think it's incredible. Because here's Paul, he says, most gladly, therefore, most gladly. Can you not use another word? What are you talking about? Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. What are we talking about? Let's be honest. We look at that language and we're like, dude, don't stop at three. Keep begging. I mean, what's, hey, hey, Lord, haven't you seen my life? I've done this and I've done that and I've taken these beatings. And then he makes an incredible statement. He says, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. You think Paul got it? I think he got it. You know, this whole book of 2 Corinthians, he's defending his apostleship. He says, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. Well, if that was our motto, every Sunday we stood up and we just repeated this. Lord, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for your sake. I'm well content. I mean, this is heavy stuff. <laughs> and I know people look at it sometimes and go, well, that was Paul's thing. Uh, no, 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 no. That's our thing too. See, the Lord has called us to suffer for his sake. In fact, the word tells us the godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer. Well... We could talk about that point from now till lunchtime. But he talks about fighting the good fight. He talks about his race. The second part of his testimony is about his race. He says, I have finished the course. And I wrote this out beside it, the one the Lord had for me. The Lord had a course for Paul. 
And the Lord has a course for you. Some of that course is like Paul's course. Paul was called to evangelize. We have been called to evangelize. Right? That's the responsibility that we have as believers. Paul's course, however, was unique in that he was an apostle of Christ. And he suffered. But the Lord used him and he wrote over half the New Testament. His course was different than yours and mine in some respects. But in some respects the same. How does your course look? How would you describe your course, your life as a Christian? How's that, how's that look? How's that race looked in your life? You know, the picture here is of an athletic contest with, with runners, and, and they're running to a finish line. You know, there are people that run, that get up every morning, they run, they just run. Why? I mean, like, for me as an athlete, picture that. When I was in high school, I needed a finish line. When I ran the 100, when I ran the 200, when I ran the 400, those were the ones I ran. I needed that finish line. The 100's awesome because you can just see it. It's a go-go race. It's not one of those you wait on. You better get out of the blocks, and you're going to be left behind. The 200, that was my favorite because you got to run the corner, and there is nothing like that. You run that corner, and when you hit that corner, and you're into the straightaway, there's that tape. You're like, man, I'm going to that tape. And know what you can't do? You can't look at the people beside you. You start doing that, you're going to be behind. You've got to keep your eye laser-focused on that finish line. The 400 was not my favorite. And why Coach Youngblood made me run that, I still don't know. I think it's because I ran cross country. I was, like, I was terrible at that race. I mean, these guys that legs twice as long as mine, like, okay, this is not going to work out well. But all of those races have points in them that are crucial, that are critical. In the 100, it's out of the blocks. In the 200, it's that circle. In the 400, this is how I was taught. In the 400, that first 200 you need to be up with the guys. The last 200, when you're coming off that last circle, that last turn, you're focused in. You know we're in a race. Where are your eyes? Are they on the finish line? Or are they just on what's here? That is important that we have our eyes set on the finish line. Set on that time when we'll be with Christ. Well, I've defined some things for you just so you'll have them. The course defined, Paul was set apart as his instrument. That's the idea here. He was set apart as an instrument of the Lord. And Acts chapter 9 tells us exactly what took place in Paul's life right from the very beginning. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Can I just talk to you about your race just for a second in this context? Like I said, we all have as the church responsibilities that we understand the New Testament gives us. There are two things I'd like to talk about in your individual race and my individual race. 
in my race, I understand that the Lord has things that I need to obey. You agree with that? So in the race, we need to be thinking about obedience. What has God said that I need to do or not do? See, and that's not one of those things you're waiting for the pastor to tell you. That's one of those things you're investigating. I only see you once a week, and then sometimes when you're off in here and there, I don't see you. And then you come back, and here we are again. But the reality is this. I have to consider what God has said for my life as a Christian. That's part of the race. What he's told me to do and not do. Like, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. That would be an example. That's part of the race. So I, if I look at, hey, how's that race going? But then there's a part of that race that I, I think is a really um, difficult one in the church. And it's part of the race God has called you to is to use the spiritual gift that he's given you. One of the things that I enjoyed about running track is the um, audience. And there's nothing like running in front of people. Because you want to do it, you want to impress those people. They came out to see me, right? And so it's all about this race, all about people watching you as an individual. And it's fun. The Christian life's a little different. Because in our race, the Lord does not want us to focus on ourselves. He wants us to use what he's given us for his glory. Where a race is glorification of man, the Christian life, that race, is the glorification of him. Agree with that? Even if you don't, it's right. It's glorifying the Lord. So part of glorifying the Lord is, are, are doing those things that he wants me to do and not do. But then there's that other aspect where I think they're probably, in terms of the race, Paul understood what the Lord's mission was for him. And he had gifts, and he exercised those gifts. What are yours? Are you just a spectator like you're at a race? Or are you part of it? Are you on the track? Are you running? Fully aware of what God has gifted you to do. I'd like you to know. I want you to know. I bet you in a crowd this size, there's several that might not know what their gift or gifts are. And I would assume there's several that think, well, you've got to be a pastor, you've got to be a missionary, and <laughs> time out. You just have to be a believer. And when you come to know Christ, you know what's so cool? Is if you go to 1 Corinthians 12, the Bible tells us that God has placed each member in the body just as he purposed. You know what that means? It means this. You need to function in your giftedness. I need that. I need to function in my giftedness. You need that. See, we need each other. It's not like... Well, he's here, she's here, he's here, she's here. No, 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 no. Equal value in the body, different responsibilities. So please, if you're frustrated with that, I'd love to sit down and talk with you. Don't live your Christian life 
going, man, I just don't know. I mean, I go to church and I listen to a pastor and I listen to people sing. And, you know, those people are the ones that are gifted and talented and everybody else. I guess we're just sitting out here as spectators. Please don't be a spectator in race. You're in the race. Don't sit in the stands. <laughs> I mean, you're in the race. You're on the track. You might not be the fastest. That's okay. <sighs> That's been a source of great frustration for me over the years. I've gotten older in the Lord. Because you know what? I'd like other people to be in the race with me. And there's a lot that are. I get that. A lot of you are. But there's some that are frustrated, right? There's some that are like, where do I belong? I had talked to the youth about this some time ago. And I mean, you know, one of the, the, the things that happens in a church, I don't care what church it's called, I mean, kids graduate from high school and they're looking for a place. You know, they've been sitting with their parents, you know, until their 10th, 11th, and then mom and dad say, you sit over there. And they move from sitting with their parents to sitting with their friends to gone. Say, Dad, you're crazy. No, I'm not. I might be crazy. But no, I'm not. And you have people just leaving the church in droves when they're in their 20s. Why? Oh, they might know they're in the race as it relates to obedience. But they don't know they're in the race as it relates to how God's going to use them in my life. That sounds selfish, maybe. I don't mean it that way. I love the people who have the gift of encouragement. I love seeing people and identifying people that have the gift of giving. And so we think of giving as always about money. That's not always about money. All right. Well, the course, the word, I put course usage. What I mean by that is the word course is only used three times in the New Testament. Did you know that? I knew you knew that. Where else do you find the word? And when I, when I was looking at this, I thought, man, this is pretty interesting because the two other places that you find the word, one of them relates to John the Baptist and the other to Paul. You know, both men had something in common. They were beheaded. But did you know also that these men were sold out? Sold out. Different functions sold out. When I looked at John the Baptist, and I was looking at Paul's address as he's in Pisidian Antioch, he's in the synagogue, and, he, and he, he's, he's talking, he's speaking, and he gets to talking about John the Baptist. This is what he says, and while John was completing his course, the Lord had something specific for him. Guys, he's got something specific for you. He does. What is it? I don't know. But while John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. You know, what I found amazing is the focus of John on his course. If you're going to be a great athlete, like I said, if you're going to run a race, you've got to have focus. Well, for John, look at his focus. Was John's focus on himself? Answer, no. Could have been easily. He easily could have been in a position of pride. Easily. The Bible says here, he says, I mean, he's just promoting Christ. He says, I'm not even worthy to unloose his sandals. 
I just like that. I don't know what that does for you, but I like it. The other time that the word course is used is in Acts 20, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And I love the view of Paul's course, how he viewed his own course. Look what he says. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. And now, just in context, he's talking to the Ephesian elders at Miletus. And he says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. That's, by the way, that's called faith. Except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Oh, man. All right. Sounds awesome. I've often wondered how to respond to that. I may know soon. You never know. He says, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. Oh, Paul must not have gotten the memo. Life's about me. He didn't get that memo. But in the 21st century, just people in general, life is about them. It's about having what they want, when they want, how they want, right now. No waiting. Man, this is a whole different ballgame here. He said, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. In other words, it's not about me. That I may finish my course. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the grace of God. Wow. Does that remind you of a verse? It reminded me of a verse. Reminded me of Galatians 2.20. Because this, this is that language. I've been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. How many of you are regenerate today? How many of you belong to Christ today? It is no longer you that lives. But it's Christ that lives in you. Good with that? the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You know, one of the things about Paul, we don't have time to talk about it right now, but one of the things I love about Paul's writing when he talks about the Lord is he always goes back to the past. He loved me. How did he love me? He died for me. That ought to be part of our life, our witness. Hey, you know, these are all the things the Lord's doing but, but look what he did for me. We need to have the mind of finishing the course prior to the 1968 Summer Olympics. By the way, the Olympics are about on us. Prior to the 1968 Summer Olympic Games in Mexico City, John Akwari. You have to give me a little leniency on that pronunciation from Tanzania, was just another marathon runner. An Olympic caliber runner, yes. He had won marathons in Africa, running times of under two and a half hours. You say, well, how long is the marathon? 26 miles. <laughs> just for context. 
26 miles. Two and a half hours. He easily qualified for the Olympics, but in Mexico City he encountered an obstacle he had never faced before. The altitude caused severe leg cramping to the point he had slowed his pace a good bit, but he kept going. And about halfway through the race, he got tangled up with some other runners and fell. He dislocated his knee and scraped up his leg pretty bad, as well as hurt one of his shoulders. But he didn't stop. With pretty significant injuries and a cramp and cramped muscles slowing him down, he labored on to the finish line. You say, how am I going to look, you know, when I get to the finish line? I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to look. Listen to what it says. He was one of 75 runners who started the race and the last to finish. When he finally entered the arena for the final lap, which has to be amazing, right? If you're a runner, dude, you're breaking through in that arena. It's like, hey, look at me. An hour after all of them had finished, he came into the arena. A cheer went up for him as he circled the darkened track. And in an interview after he finished, a reporter asked him, Why didn't you quit when you were hurt, bloody and bruised? Love his answer. My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Whew! Man, I had goosebumps in my office this week. Like, dude, I wanted to get up and start running, but I didn't. You remember when your race started? Let's keep going. The finish. I got some practical takeaways. It's only 11.35. Eat a snack if you have one. Ready? I just put this together and you can take it or not, but here it is. These are some takeaways. If we're going to run the race, these are some things I thought and I put some key words there and then some phrases to the side. We run the race, we need to consider time. How? We need to stay connected to the Lord and his, and his work through work, the word and prayer every day. Every day. There needs to be a daily reliance on the spirit of God. We need to think through this issue of ownership. Our lives belong to him. Paul, uh, Paul tells us we've been bought with a price. There needs to be a single-mindedness. We need to concentrate on the eternal, not the temporal. And my friends, we don't even have to go down that road. You, you know how that is. Life, we need to live each day trusting the Lord. No matter what comes down the pike. You're still writing, aren't you? <laughs> those little blanks. You know, as I was looking through those first five that last one I changed up the wording like a few times but I thought man that's really good stuff because that trusting piece is always in front of us we have to make a decision about that all the time and the wisdom of Solomon is what trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him he'll direct your path And then the last three, I 
just put there for us to think about as we run the race is focus, remember, and commit. Focus on loving the Lord and others. I think yeah, that's the right order. On the Lord and others. I just put remember Romans 8.28. <laughs> as you're running the race, you better remember that one. And, and underscore it. I'm going to tell you something. This fall, in our small groups, we're going to go through a book as a church. From the youth on up is what my mind is telling me. Go through a, a book that just deals with that verse. And this guy broke this in, down incredible. But that's going to be our small group study. You just can't beat studying that verse. And then commit to regularly assembling with the body of Christ. Well, last point this morning. The good fight I've fought, the course I've finished, the faith I've kept. So he moves on in his testimony to Timothy and he talks about his focus. Here it is. I have kept the faith. So the question becomes, is he talking about saving faith or is he talking about the totality of the Christian faith? I agree with A.T. Robertson that he's talking about the totality of the Christian faith. But the idea here of kept is an interesting word. It's a picture of a person who is intently focusing on something. Like with your kids. Have you ever taken your kids to a crowded area, to a ball game, right? And there's maybe 80,000 people there. And what do you tell your kids? Just run off and play, we'll see you later. No. Well, you might. depends on how things are going at home. But what are you doing? You're intently focusing on keeping that child with you. You're watching them. You're guarding them. You're protecting them. I mean, typically, you don't have to tell children, to, I mean, parents to do that with their children. They're going to guard them. They're going to protect them. The idea here is that Paul spent his life protecting the faith, guarding the faith, guarding doctrine, guarding truth. So I agree with A.T. Robertson when he says the faith in this context refers to more than belief in Christ. It can include that, obviously, but it refers to the totality of the Christian faith. You say, well, how dedicated was Paul to this whole faith thing, the faith doctrine? Pretty dedicated. Whoa. How dedicated was he? Look at this. Galatians chapter 1. This is just one example of many. Verses 6 through 10. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. In other words, what's he saying? There's only one gospel. Only there are some who are, disturb, are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we Notice that pronoun. If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed or destroyed. The Greek word is anathema. I mean, if you're putting your own self in that, that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> so there's only one gospel. It's the gospel of grace. Do you agree with that? Grace plus Nothing. He says, as we have said before, I mean, like, if you didn't get the first time, here it is. 
So I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed or destroyed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? <laughs> you look at our world today, there are a lot of preachers and teachers that are looking for the favor of men. What can I say so that these guys will feel good about themselves? Well, hey, if you're preaching the gospel of works, men are going to do what? Oh, if I do this, if I do that, they're going to feel good about themselves. Paul says, for by grace are you saved through what? Faith. Plus nothing else, guys. Plus nothing else. So, as it relates to his focus, we have Paul's personal challenge as well. His personal challenge was to his protege, to, to Timothy. And I just gave you three verses sections here you can go home and study this on your own and put it together but look what the challenge that he gives him about guarding the truth he says guard what has been entrusted to you retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me guard through the holy spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you the gospel is a treasure the faith is a treasure then 2 Timothy 3, 13 and 14. You remember 13 said, But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but you. And it's like you just pointing at him. Look, that's, that's them. You continue, he says, in the things you've learned and become convinced of. <laughs> and you remember what he had just told him? Back up, and we need to remi- I need to remind you of this. Almost done. But I want to remind you of this. Go back up to verse 2. What's his charge to Timothy? Preach the word. So if, if we're going to keep an eye on the faith, then we have to be sold out to preaching the word of God. It's not about a social gospel. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about the word of God. I was reading something earlier this morning. There's an article, I can't remember exactly the title, but it's, it's somewhat this. Can science help us live forever? That's the question. And I'm like, <laughs> I just started laughing. I'm like, what? Man is going to live forever. Away from the Lord or with the Lord. But he tells him, he says, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, all the time. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? Because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I don't want to hear about what God says about marriage. I'm going to go find me a church that will just talk about anybody can marry anybody. It doesn't matter, right? That's what's happening. Look, God may have had an order in his creation, but I'm not interested in that. They talk about that at that church. I'm not going there anymore. They say that the wife at that church is not the head of the home. Oh, they talk about the man being the head of the home. What does God say? Man's the head of the home. You're worrying me. Man's the head of the home. You say, I don't like the way God put it together. Take that up with him. We don't have the right to change what God's already said. He said marriage is between one man and one woman. Yeah, but it's the 21st century. I don't care what century it is. God has said. 
yeah, but people are just having an identity crisis. God has said, he created a male and female. He didn't make it hard. You know, the sad part is about this, Paul says, and you're thinking, man, that's then, this is now. The time will come when they not, will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. So I've got to go find me a church that's going to say what I want them to say. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. In other words, I've got to line up people that are going to you know, tell me what I want to hear. Can I just thank Dr. Hughley and George Mirage and Southeastern Bible College? They did not teach us that way. Dr. Gannett would get up on his toes, thus saith the Lord. And you were just like, yeah, he did say it. And it wasn't because Dr. Gannett was some big giant. It was because this is what God said. And I was loving it. By the way, we're glad George is here today. Those eyes. You are the head of your home, right, George? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, George, I just couldn't resist that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. My brother George failed us last week, and we're so thankful for the grace of the Lord and protecting you. I mean, he's got me a hundred times, but I get him one time. <laughs> he says, they will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths, but you. You fulfill your ministry. You do what the Lord's called you to do. There's a story told of a large tree, which over the years had become a giant tree in a park. A violent storm arose one night, and the very large tree fell to the ground. Nothing but a splintered stump was left. Closer examination of the tree showed that it was rotten at the core. Because thousands of tiny insects had eaten away at its heart. The weakness of that tree was not brought on by the sudden storm. It began the moment the first insect nested within its bark. What are we allowing to nest in our hearts and our minds? What better thing for somebody to put on your grave marker, the good fight, I have fought. The course, I have finished. Faith, I have kept. Let's pray. Lord, um, it is all about you. Lord, as we sit here and we listen to the rain falling, I think that's what it is. We're thankful that you're in charge. And we're thankful, Lord, that we can sing songs of praise and lift your name up. I pray for all of us that we can, would consider the race. That we would look to the author and finisher of our faith, who is Christ the Lord. Ultimately, Lord, you're our example. But we are thankful for Paul and for his example to Timothy and his example to us. 
None of us in this room know when our life will end on this earth and how that's going to look. So consequently, we don't know when the race on earth is going to be over for us. Please help us to be faithful. Whether we have one day, a hundred days, or 30 years, whatever that is, Lord, until you come, help us to be faithful to what you've called us to do. In the name of Christ, I pray. Guys, as we close out, um, let's all stand and uh, be be introduced. The praise team introduced this song, I think, a couple of weeks ago, right? And um, I'd like for us to consider, as we consider the race that God has put us in, let's also consider what uh, what things exist in our life that need to fade away um, to the point that the image of Christ is what's seen, that the person of Christ is... Um, who is heard when we speak to others. Um, Just think about that as we sing this song.
How do I lose? I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. And if the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Cause death is just the doorway into resurrection life. If I join you in your sufferings, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing and my song will be the same. Oh, Christ be magnified, let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me, oh, Christ be magnified the altar of my life, Christ be magnified in me, oh, Christ be magnified, let his praise arise, Christ be magnified in me. Christ be magnified the altar of my life Christ be magnified in me Thank you praise team we appreciate you leading us and Christ be magnified. That's the message. This little piece of paper you were given when you came in today, I hope. Appreciate Shauna working this up. I have some wonderful um, ladies in the office. Uh, mentioned Andrea before. She does a great job with the children. There's children's things on here to do. Um, but I really appreciate um, Amanda and Shauna and Shauna put this together. We kind of came up with this a couple months ago, just thinking and kind of keeps you informed about the life at Grace and what's going on. And um, so I would encourage you to read it, and I'll let you read it. I'll just make comments on a couple of things. The New to Grace class will be August the 22nd. And so if you've been attending Grace and you're interested in knowing more of behind the scenes, uh, who we are and what we believe and the things we're committed to, I would encourage you to contact the church office, and um, I'm going to try to, for next week, to have something you can fill out so that uh, we can uh, have you sign up for that if you're interested. But I also wanted to make mention um, of the Elder Deacon nomination uh, for our membership. Uh, last year, we spent an extensive amount of time talking about Elder Deacon um, and we don't do that every year, but every few years I'll, I'll do that. And um, you can just take this sheet. The, there are boxes out in the foyer, and next to the boxes there uh, is an elder deacon selection. There's a list of the current elders and deacons on that. So don't nominate them. <laughs> they might want to roll off, but don't put that either. Um, anyway, you have those in front of you. And I would encourage you to take the sheet attached to it from 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and just kind of obviously look at that. What does God say about the qualifications for an elder and a deacon? 
And really, what you're doing is, when the elders get together, we're just acknowledging what's going on in the lives of these people. So I would encourage you to, to do that, to pray and pray over that. And we will uh, continue the nominations uh, through the end of this month. So uh, you'll have till the end of this month, which will be two more Sundays, uh, that you'll be able to turn those in. And if it's, uh, you know, during that week of the last Sunday, that's fine as well. But um, just make sure that you fill that out and uh, put it in the little box there that, that is available uh, uh, for you. All right. Um, I think that's all I mentioned uh, today. And um, it was great seeing you. I get to look around. That's why I stopped kind of early on. I was looking around to see. Because I can't talk to all of you before you leave. But um, it's great seeing you today. And I hope that um, the Lord will continue to work in all of our lives for his glory. Let's pray uh, before you. Lord, uh, thank you so much. Just for who you are, for your word. Lord, that, that you don't change. That we can depend on you. You are a faithful God. Help us, Lord, this week as we walk through life to be aware of the opportunities to speak your name and help us to stand. To stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God and help us in love to share your truth. And Lord, we just pray that the results will be in your hands. And uh, we just commit ourselves to you today. And we would ask, Lord, that you would help all of us. Because one thing for sure with Paul, he knew where his help came from. It was the power that indwelt him. And if we belong to you, we have the Spirit of God that indwells us. The power that we need to live to your glory, we have that within us. I pray we would surrender each day to the Spirit of God. Help us, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.